literally representing our country. And in some cases, they actually won medals. You never fully retire. Let me just say that. As a competitor, especially in gaming, you still kind of compete a little bit on the side. Hello out there, and welcome to another episode of In The Know. I'm Kanisha Humber, joined as always by my co-host, Griffin Toplitsky. Thank you, Kanisha, mainly for pronouncing my last name correctly. You are ever so welcome. What other versions of your last name have you heard? Mainly people don't get it right the first time. Uh, they usually go with Toplinsky. They love to throw me a little bonus N. What about you? The last name is pretty steady because there's a Humber River school and hospital around here. But my first name, honestly, it's a puzzle to many. I've gotten Letitia, Shanika, Kenosha, and my mom and grandmother call me Ken, but Ken I like. Okay, Ken. But not for you. <sighs> okay, it's time for us to leave the name confusion behind us and get in the game. I couldn't agree more. In today's installment, we are going to have discussions around actual sports sports, as well as a look at the gaming industry, a business that is expected to be worth $321 billion by 2026. I like that term sports sports. It sounds weird, but we all know what you mean. Right? It's good. I like it. Our guests today include RBC's VP of Brand Marketing, Shannon Cole, who will be talking a little sports sports. And retired professional gamer and current video game developer, Stephanie Harvey, aka Miss Harvey, will also be along for the ride. As always, when we are kicking off an episode, we want to hear from you out there in the real world. So we went out and tracked down some gamers, asking, have you ever thought of ways to make money in the gaming world? And if so, how? Here's what they had to say. While I get off school, I go home and just play games and like stream on Twitch and stuff. Have you ever thought about ways to monetize that full time? Yeah, when I was younger, I just like, I wanted to be a Twitch streamer, but I got caught up in school and stuff. Is that ever th something you would explore after? Yeah, definitely. Off the top of my head, probably streaming would be the thing. I know a few people in my circle who stream on like Twitch or someplace else, and that makes them a decent amount of cash. So that probably would be my go-to. I love that today we're living in a world where people see the real value in gaming. It has definitely evolved from Super Mario, Duck Hunt, and Tetris to a standalone career in one of the fastest growing industries. We're excited to take a closer look at this career path that gaming is providing. But before that, we are going to focus on the business side of sports. And before that, let's hear about a very cool sports-related RBC program. RBC Training Ground is a talent identification and athlete funding program designed to uncover athletes with Olympic potential, providing them with the high-performance sport resources they need to achieve their podium dreams. With the belief that high-performance sports should be accessible to all athletes that are talented, qualified, and have the will to compete, this program travels the country, searching for athletes between the ages of 14 and 25 that will fuel the Canadian Olympic pipeline. Check out the link in our show notes or simply go to rbctrainingground.ca to find out more. Our first guest is going to get into the business side of what Kanisha calls sports sports. You make fun, but you admitted that you immediately knew what I was talking about. 
Well, Kanisha, as a hugely successful athlete, I of course knew what you were saying as I eat, drink, sleep, sports, 24-7, no quitting, up all night. (laughs) I will choose not to believe that. You've made a good choice. But I will say I'm very interested in the business of sports and maybe some of the ways I've never thought about career opportunities in that realm. Then we have the perfect guest for you and all of our like-minded listeners out there. Please welcome to the show, RBC's Vice President of Brand Marketing, Shannon Cole. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Let's start it off with, no pun intended, a softball. What is your personal fandom? Who are your favorite teams or individual athletes? So I live in in Toronto now. So I I like the Blue Jays. I, I worked for the Leafs and the Raptors for many, many years. Although I did grow up in Calgary, so I have a soft spot for the Flames as well. And then I also, I I played soccer at a college football-obsessed university at the University of Nebraska. So I'm a big fan of the Huskers also. So what led you to your interest in the business side of sports? Honestly, it was an internship, big, big advocate of internships. But I had played sports and participated in sports pretty much my whole life. And so it was a huge part of what I spent my time doing. I mentioned that's how I ended up going to, you know, university in the States. And I had done this undergrad in advertising. And then when I really started thinking about sort of post-sport career and what I wanted to do, I knew I had an interest to stay involved in sports. And so I began this, you know, master's in sport management. And a part of that was an internship that I did in Kansas City for the chiefs of the NFL. And then they used to be called the Kansas City Wizards in the MLS. And I did an internship there. It was sort of my first peek behind the scenes of the business of sport. And I was blown away, like the multitude of disciplines, careers, the sheer number of people it takes to bring an operation like that to life. So it was really validating, I guess, as a decision which which melded kind of my personal interests and the educational path I'd been on. So that was sort of the first kind of indication that that was where I wanted to go with my career. So then now, VP of brand marketing at RBC, how does sports play into that? Yeah, it, it's it, it's a great question. And it's not all that intuitive, I think, for people when they say, oh, you work at a, at a bank, you're in marketing. But it's actually a, a fairly large percentage of what I work on. Of course, I'm very blessed and honored to be able to work on things outside of sport, but we have a a pretty sizable commitment to the Canadian Olympic Committee and our commitment to Olympians and a longstanding partner of of that movement and golf. We have a very large footprint in in golf and some other sports uh, in addition to that. So it's a, it's a pretty large part of what I get to do still day to day, which is nice. So when you say commitment to the Olympics or footprint in golf, what specifically does that mean? Specifically for the Olympics, as I mentioned, we're a longstanding partner of the Olympic movement. We've been a, a partner of the Canadian Olympic Committee for decades, like 70 plus years. And so for us, this kind of demonstrates its commitment in a few different ways. The first is obviously being able to advertise and and show ourselves as a proud and committed partner to the Games and to the, the Canadian Olympic Committee. But in addition to that, we've been supporting Canadian athletes for almost just as long. If you think about you know what it takes, most of them are amateurs. They play in sports that are 
both high profile and maybe less in the spotlight. And and it's a huge grind. So, you know, they need resources. They need the ability to, to train and travel. And the other thing that we do is we help them prepare for career after sport, which a lot of people, you know, don't think about right away. They don't realize that some of these athletes are retiring from their careers in their 20s, maybe 30s if they're lucky. So they've got a whole runway ahead of them. And so we're also proud to be able to help them prepare for what that life is like and their careers are like after they you know, hang up their skates or hang up their their cleats or whatever. Definitely. If you gave me that much money as a 20-year-old, I would not be spending it in the best ways, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. What are you looking for in a potential athlete to partner with? Well, this is actually probably more multi-layered answer than you're even looking for. But it, it's pretty complex, actually. The, the short answer is this. like As a brand marketer for a large organization like RBC, there are a lot of variables that would go into making decisions on signing an athlete or, or any ambassador for that matter. And naturally, those would include you know, brand and business inputs. And what I mean by that is from a brand perspective, does this person have alignment with who we are as a brand, what we aspire to be? Can they offer us some enhanced exposure or maybe they have really high social and digital engagement? Is it a mutually beneficial relationship? Meaning, are they also on board with who we are? And, you know, beyond just financials of a deal, are we compatible in that sort of relationship? And from a business perspective, you know, I have to balance the needs of what internal people are looking for. Is it solving a business challenge? Are there corporate hosting needs we need to tap into? You know, we're going to leverage these people more than likely, or they're IP and different campaigns. So it's a it's a pretty multi-layered equation and, and definitely takes time and energy to kind of assess people and figure out exactly who we want to, you know, cut a deal with. What are your biggest successes in the sports marketing field? Wow. Okay. So I there's there's a couple that come to mind if you'll indulge me. I've been fortunate to play a role in these sometimes big, usually small role. So the first that comes to mind um, when you ask the question is the Tokyo Olympic campaign, uh, which stood out to me for two kind of enormous reasons. The first is obvious. So the Tokyo Olympic was supposed to happen in 2020. Of course, we know that didn't happen. It happened in 2021. And that was after, you know, an initial commitment that they were happening in 2020, then maybe postponed, then essentially outright canceled only to be rescheduled for the summer of 2021. And then there was all this uncertainty around if it was going to be with fans or without fans. And it was all just very much up in the air. And if you rewind the tapes on what goes into a campaign of that magnitude, building a creative brief, we align it to a brand campaign. We were also launching, you have to shoot all the footage. I mean, it had been a year already when when COVID hit. So the pride I felt when the team just continually picked themselves up after so much uncertainty, built something really strategically solid, allowing us to retain our top domestic sponsor status in the results. It gave us lifts in essentially every metric we measure. The campaign was just a huge, huge success. And underneath that was just we knew what had gone into it. And so I feel a lot of pride around that. And then the second piece of the Tokyo Games, which was 
honestly, a, a career highlight for me was that it was also integrating a program we called we call RBC Training Ground. So RBC Training Ground had been around for call it five, six, seven years. And this is a program that helps identify and support athletes who were not otherwise like on the high performance track. So it helps kind of get them into the system identified and then supports them along the way. And in Tokyo, for the first time, we had RBC training ground athletes actually competing for Canada, literally representing our country. And in some cases, they actually won medals. So, I, I mean, I could talk about this forever, <laughs> but if you think about that, really think about that, it's astounding. These young athletes who in some cases were trying a sport for the first time as a re result of this program, now competing at the highest of levels, it just, it gives me goosebumps even talking about it. Now, it's not all what Kanisha calls sports sports with you. You and your team have a connection to the gaming world. Can you tell us about the RBC Gaming Grant? Yeah, we, we recently uh, partnered with Enthusiast Gaming and announced a, a program to help young Canadians in their pursuit of a career within video games and the video game industry. We know this is a huge blossoming uh, industry and there are young people who see and, and recognize this as a legitimate career path. So, you know, our goal is to provide mentorship and uh, some grants towards getting their careers in gaming off the ground. So we're really proud of that and excited to see where it goes. Shannon, thank you so, so much for joining us. I have to admit, I am new to the world of sports. And as we've, you know, said, it's sports, sports, but you've really enlightened me personally. And so I'm sure you have really enlightened a lot of our listeners out there. So thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Next up, we dive into the world of gaming. But just before that, here's Griffin with a reminder and a few more details about the RBC Gaming Grant. Off the bench and into the action. RBC and Enthusiast Gaming have partnered up to create the RBC Gaming Grant. This grant aims to empower young Canadians in their pursuit of a career within the video gaming industry. Providing 150 young people access to mentorship in the gaming industry and awarding 50 qualifying participants with grants of $1,500 each to help them advance their gaming careers. A select number of participants will also have the opportunity to intern at Enthusiast Gaming. For more on this, check out the link in our show notes or Google the RBC Gaming Grant. Our next guest is a retired professional gamer, but during her gaming career, she was a five-time world champion in competitive Counter-Strike and has been deemed as a female pro gaming icon by many of her peers. She is a tremendous ambassador for the world of esports and bringing gaming to mainstream audiences, legitimizing the industry and its players. Now, she focuses her time on game development and is an executive at CounterLogic Gaming. She's an advocate for demystifying gaming myths, and that's what we hope to do for ourselves and our audience today. Please welcome to the show, Stephanie Harvey. Stephanie, thank you for being here. Hey, hello. Thank you for having me. So first up, do you prefer Miss Harvey or Stephanie? I don't mind either or. I feel that more recently people have known me as Stephanie Harvey, but I've been known for Miss Harvey for 19 years, so they're both fine. How did that name come about? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, I was in high school and my teacher was actually 
I think he was my physics teacher. I was talking a lot and he would always refer me as Miss something, which is funny because in French, Miss is an English word. So it like, I thought it was really funny because it's like, imagine you're in a physics class, you're 15 and someone always, t- or 17 and someone always goes, Madame Arve, but you, you don't speak like French or he's not French. Well, it's kind of the same. You would say, Miss Arve, like, please come back to class or whatever. <laughs> and so it kind of stuck to me. So when I went to a gaming center, uh, I had to pick an alias and I don't know, that teacher cracked me up. So I picked that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start there at the beginning of your gaming career. How did all of this start? So there's like my personal journey, which I've always been a gamer, but I really feel it is so different than back in the eighties and the early nineties gaming wasn't mainstream so it felt more like i was always like a chess player or i was always like you know those really like uh, more like on the ground kind of nerdy thing that's kind of like it how it felt it, it felt it wasn't something that like was anything special or that i could really connect with others meaning i was just gaming all the time i was a lonely child and my parents bought me consoles and then i got a pc and i was just a gamer and so I went through all the generations of gaming and and that was just part of my childhood. But then I discovered like Counter-Strike at 13 years old. And that's when it became really serious where uh, it really changed my life because I started playing more organized gaming, having practice, going to tournaments and that kind of stuff. So uh, even though I've always been a gamer, it, it became the real deal, I think, in 2003. So you just mentioned Counter-Strike and we we know that you are a five-time champion uh, at Counter-Strike. Um, why did you get so into that game specifically? Oh, yeah. So it was because of uh, a guy in high school that I really wanted to, to go to prom with. It was as simple as that. And he was playing uh, shooter games, which wasn't really my thing then. Um, I didn't really know how to do anything and I was kind of scared of anything that had like guns and scares and stuff. I remember playing Doom or even Tom Raider when I was really young and I just did not like these kind of games. I was so scared. And so um, we had a land center across the street from my high school and that's where he always went with his friends during lunch. So I kind of just went and we had like a $5 poutine and gaming combo for lunch for students at the high school. So yeah, I started playing there and then for some reason i started going you know at nights there without the guy and i fell in love with counter strike (laughs) (laughs) so how do you officially retire from gaming was there a a ceremony i still didn't don't think i'm officially retired but i kind of am because i don't compete anymore but you can officially retire and kind of go uh to um to the extent of like putting a press release and saying, hey, I'm, I'm done. And then you can announce what's the next step. Like you can say I'm doing content. But I was never kind of accepting the fact that I didn't want to compete or didn't compete anymore. For me, it was more like, oh, for a little bit, I'll do this. And then later I'll come back to competing or I'll see if there's more opportunity and whatnot. And that kind of never happened. I continued working more and more and Throughout the last years, I haven't competed, I think, since 2019 because the pandemic hit. Competed a little bit in the pandemic in Valorant. And then after that, I kind of 
focused on full-time chronologic gaming as a director and it kind of stopped. It's like, you never fully retire. Let me just say that as a competitor, especially in gaming, you still kind of compete a little bit on the side. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think it takes to be a successful game developer? My main thing about being a successful game developer is really to play games. I've seen so many game developers who don't play games. And I think that's very limiting when it comes to creativity, when it comes to making sure that you push your own design to the limits of what it can be or how to improve your own design because there's been other designs that are already better. So you want to start from there instead of being behind. So I would say that's the main thing that, that unfortunately I've seen so many game designers or even just people in, in games uh, don't play. I understand that there are some positions where it's not necessarily mandatory, but at the same time, I think it helps to have a greater understanding of the space. So even if you're like the producer or if you're extremely focused on the physics of the engine and whatnot, I think that there's no reason why you should also care about the space and care about gaming. So you're competitive outside of gaming as well, having won season three of CBC's Canada's Smartest Person and Big Brother Celebrities. Um, what was that experience like for you? What were both of those experiences like for you? And um, how did you win? <laughs> we all need to know. <laughs> yeah, those are two very crazy experiences where I just kind of did it for the thrill of doing it for like, hey, that looks like a cool challenge or a cool opportunity. And I did not think I was going to win both. You can't really get into your reality show and think uh, I'm going to win. I think that was the wrong mentality. But every time I got on these show, they kept asking me to take videos of me saying, why are you going to win this? Or why are you the best to be on the show? And every time I would like whistle my way out saying like, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to win or I'm not the best, even though I was there because I was the fierce competitor, you know? <laughs> and I just, I just think that in a world where I can't control all the variables, even when I was, in Counter-Strike, practicing, thinking that you're going to win because you're the best, I think has always been a mistake. Um, I try to stay humble and instead say, I'm going to do the best I can to win. And I have practiced so much to get there that I think I have good chances at the top. I did the best that I could to win. And I think that's the mindset that you should jump in. And that's the Olympian mindset because you can't just expect to win gold all the time. And you have to be happy to win silver or bronze or number four, four, because if you don't, then what happens is that you will always be sad of not being first. And that's an unreachable and unrealistic goal. And that's something that I was never taught when I was a kid uh, because I was self-taught in gaming. So learning how to lose is one of the most important thing I would say as a competitor, whatever the co type of competition you're doing. And so that's um, that's the mindset that I got in in the reality shows where it's I'm most likely not going to win. So instead of saying I'm going to win, it's more I'm going to do the best I can to win. And the furthest that I go, I'll be extremely happy I was able to get there. And turns out I won both. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you have a new book out. Uh, can you tell us about that? Yes, it's in French right now. It's uh, called Just Miss Harvey, Gamer, and, and Proud of It. I think it's important for me to put my brain out there somehow. 
And the best way for me to talk about subjects that really matter to me, which were in this case, cyber citizenship, uh, women in, uh, and diversity in minorities uh, in a work environment or in a community environment, fighting adversity and fighting for uh, jobs that don't exist and, and passions that don't exist as a job and making it a job kind of was all things I wanted to talk about. And so the best way that we've come, we've decided to do this was to kind of merge both where I talk about my life, but we also talk about these issues with examples through my life. So it will be a bit of when I was young, I did this and that, but it's also to talk about, hey, being close to your kid's passion and close to your kid's activities and video games and whatever they're doing, which is going to be something different in the future than gaming is important. It can change their life. It can change the way they face adversity. It can change the way that they see challenges. It's funny when I talk to my parents, for example, about things that I did uh, when I was I was young, my perception of it was that they were supporting me a hundred percent, that they believed in me. But they tell me now that behind the scene, they were like, what the hell is she doing? Like she is quitting architecture for gaming. That's a terrible mistake. But what they told me was, you got this. We believe in you, like believe in your dreams. So it doesn't really matter what you think. What matters is what how you project it to your kid and how you you kind of have that trust and that communication with them. Um, and so those are kind of the topics that I talk about in my book. And and I, I hope that a lot of people will learn about video game, about cyber citizenship, but also about how I was able to kind of push the envelope and break these glass ceilings left and right, which I think I'm still doing to this day. Thank you, Stephanie. This has been fantastic. And we really appreciate you being on our show. Thank you so much. I keep wondering how we're going to be able to top an episode like this. That's a good place to be, Griffin. Keeps you motivated. I think this reignited my love of gaming. Mmm, and how about sports sports? Oh, I'm retired. I went out on top. What's up for the next episode? Next up, we look at the digital revolution. What's new in digital? What's here to make our lives more interesting? And when it comes to digital banking, what's here to make our lives more convenient? And what security risks might come with that convenience. So many questions already, Griffin. What can I say? I just need to be in the know. Well, lucky for you, we will be joined by Chief Digital Officer, Personal and Commercial Banking at RBC, Peter Tilton. And best-selling author and media entrepreneur, Amber Mack, will also be here. Great combo. From gaming to digital, back to back, fantastic. So now that you're done for the day and retired from sports... The rest of my day, I will be gaming. Well played. Thanks as always for listening to In The Know. We're your hosts, Griffin Saplitsky, not Topsky. And Kanisha Hember, not Hunter. But you can call her Ken. Please don't. Thank you to RBC's VP of Brand Marketing, Shannon Cole, for being with us. And of course, thanks to Stephanie Harvey, or Miss Harvey if you prefer, for enlightening us on the world of esports and gaming. And finally, we'd be nowhere without our In The Know listener community. If you'd like a chance to be included in a future episode of In The Know, email us at rbcfuturelaunch at rbc.com with In The Know in the subject line. In The Know is a production of RBC, dedicated to focusing on the issues that matter and are important to society and people. For more on RBC citizenship, check out the link in our show notes. And here to share their mission is none other than Mark Beckles, 
Vice President, Social Impact and Innovation at RBC. Mark? At RBC, our purpose is to help clients thrive and communities prosper. And that's why we are investing $500 million over 10 years as part of RBC's Future Launch to help empower young people for the jobs of tomorrow. We want to help you be the best that you can be. So we work to increase your access to information, programs, tools, and resources to share different points of view and challenge your norms, and ultimately helping you make sense of the world around you. We know that our future and the future of our communities starts with you, and that's why we want you to be in the know.